0: If you can find the book of Micah, would you open to Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. I'm sure that is a familiar section of scripture to you. Micah 6 and verse 8. He had showed thee, O man, what is good. Now let me stop and ask you a question. How many of you have experienced the goodness of God? To some degree, maybe not a giant big thing, but looking at a lot of little things that you are so much better off because he did that, it was good. How many of you have experienced a lot of good? Good, goodness. Well, good for you. That's the title of the message, good for you. Good for you because good is one of those words that comes up frequently in the Bible, and it's always something good for us that we benefit from. When we receive good from the Lord, it is something that is good for us, makes us more than what we could have been, out of danger, blessed in some way because of goodness. Goodness and God are synonymous because everything that is good will come from God. Every good and blessed gift comes down from God and it comes to man if it's good. So he says to the prophet here in Micah, he said, Now, the Lord has shown you, O man, what is good. Now, what does the Lord require of you? Now, goodness here is something that obviously is known, something revealed. God wasn't talking to somebody who didn't know what he was talking about. God said, as he would say to us in this room, God has shown you, O oh man and woman or people, God has shown you what is good. And those things are yours. It comes by grace. God, in His graciousness, has given to us, well, good things. What are good things? Promises? Wouldn't promises be good? Wouldn't blessing and deliverances be good? Wasn't escaping out of the snare be good? How about feeling good every day? Would that be good? That's good. The devil doesn't do that. God does that. Being blessed and at peace is not something the devil does. It's God does that, so it's good. Now, he shows us these things. We take it for granted. We don't pay much attention to it because somehow we think, we editorially, people, think that God ought to be good to us because he's good, and after all, we're people, and he's supposed to be good. And he is. He causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. They don't deserve it. You don't either, but he's good. And he said, the Lord has shown thee, O oh man, what is good. Then he said this. He said, what does the Lord require of you? He has shown you what is good. You know something. You've been taught. Your eyes have been opened by the Lord, and he has shown you things. Now, how important is it for you to know those things? How could we believe God for good things if we don't know what good things are? How can we approach God and believe him for things if we don't know what good things he's promised? And yet Christians do it all the time. They know very little about God's provision for them. Or if you tell them what God will do and promise to do, they're not even sure they believe that. But in a time of trouble or crisis, they all go to God. They cry out because they want him to do something, but they don't know if he has said in his word that that's what he wants to do or not. It's necessary for us to learn what good things God has for us because it keeps us clean before him when we know what he wants. Like, what does the Lord require of you? Remember what he said in James chapter 4? He said, therefore to him that knoweth to do good. Okay, to us who have been learning and being taught what good things God has for us, as well as other things, God says now, to you that know what good is, you that know to do good. That's back to the prophet. He has shown you what is good. Now, what does he want from you? In relation to what God has offered you, what does he expect from you? what does he require? James says it like this again. He that knoweth to do good and doesn't do the good to that person, it's what? It's sin. It's a transgression against God. God opens up the windows of heaven, opens up the knowledge of his word to his people, and he said, this is what you can believe for. This is yours. Now, if you read carefully, you will read that the giving of these things aren't because you read it, but there are conditions in there. You got to read what causes God to do this. This is what he said he will do. Now, what is it that motivates him to do it? God has made many declarations that many people have never experienced. He said he would but he also told people, this is the way, walk in it. Or what does the Lord require of you? We don't read that much. We just assume that he should because he's God. And the church is running on empty today as I speak. Empty words, empty faith. I think we like to hear it, but we're not sure to work. I don't know that we've ever stationed ourselves before God and says, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? I know you're good, and you promised a lot of things that a lot of people aren't getting. Well, I want to get it because you didn't make an aimless promise. I want it. But what do you want from me? That's what God says. I want something from you. I want these promises to motivate you to come to me. I want you to read carefully what I say and the heart and compassion that says it, but this is what I require of you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad you sing songs, and I'm glad you do that because it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. That's good. We ought to do that. We ought to teach his good doctrine as he talks about it. Paul says you'll be a good minister if you teach these things. Something approved of God, acceptable to God, becomes yours. You begin to experience it, but you've got to do something. Yet there's something that is required of you. Good is up to God, isn't it? Good doesn't come from the devil. The thief goes about to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said, I'm coming, you might have life. That's good. And have it more abundantly. Isn't that good? Now That's what's offered to us. And yet the greatest expression of goodness from God to anybody in this room or out yonder, the best and greatest expression that ever has happened to us was the goodness of God that led us to repentance. We were wandering aimlessly in this world, maybe religious, church people. We had nothing in our hearts about God. We didn't trust him. We didn't live for him. We really didn't care that much about it. Going to church was a socially good thing to do. You think good people go to church. We weren't good. We were just religious. But one day, I hope this has happened to you. I don't know if it's happened to all of you. But there came a day that God made you miserable. That was a good thing. How can me being miserable be good? Because you're getting found out. God broke your heart. You begin to see how bad you really were in the eyes of God. There was nothing good about you. One time a man in Matthew 19 said to Jesus, called him good master. He said, why callest thou me good? There is one. There's only one who is good, and that's God. The author of all good is God. If anything is good, God's behind it. God began to deal with our hearts. We begin to see who we were as he sees us. We begin to see how nasty and ornery we were in our thinking in our motivations and how unrighteous our life was being religious. That we were nothing but wrong. And God began to deal with us. Remember the word in Second Corinthians 710, godly sorrow. For godly sorrow leads us to repentance, that God to undeserving people like us did something in our heart that awakened us to the condition that we were in. Let me tell you my story. You've never heard that. There was a day a religious boy like myself, church all my life, whether the Catholics or the Protestants, I've been in both of them playing church, looking good, adding that to who I am. Well, I go to church. And then one day it began to happen on a weekend. I began to be located by God. The penetration of his way into my heart, I could only see myself as I really was. I couldn't hide it anymore. I could hide it from you. We think if we go to church and we, we sing and all that, we're all right. But God knew that I wouldn't. And I could hide what was breaking my heart from you, but I couldn't hide it from God. I knew of all people, God knew. You didn't, God did. And I began to see how criminal my whole life was in relation to God. I had no heart for God. I didn't love the Lord. I didn't really care about being righteous or good. It was a show. It was just a show in the flesh until that day, that weekend in June of 1968, thank you. And I began to see it. It began to be uncovered. The discovery of my sin was an awful thing to me. It was awful to me because I realized I was a hypocrite. A good one, a nice one. But I was a hypocrite, and that if I had died that day, I would have gone to hell. I knew I could make you think I was all right, but God knew my heart. And I began to weep off and on. Somebody started talking about Jesus, I'd have to shut my eyes and act like it was hay fever. Because I knew they were right, and I knew I needed that. And this was God's goodness at work in my life. God was good to me making me feel terrible. But the terribleness came from who I was. That's the kind of person I was. I didn't know that until he showed me. He showed me how I was. And not only was he good to show me my sins, but he was good to give me as a gift, repentance. He enabled me to say, I am sorry, oh God, forgive me. He enabled me at that same time to believe that he will forgive me. All of this was given. It was a gift. That morning, I surrendered, as best I knew how, my heart to the Lord. I was awakened out of sinfulness into some stage of righteousness. I asked God to forgive me. When I turned to walk away that day, my intentions were to walk with the Lord the rest of my life. That was 44 years next week that that happened, June 30th. Wow, 44 years ago. And I've never looked back. Never looked back because there's nothing back there. Because God has shown me what he has for me, and it's all good. I've had to learn through many struggles that I wasn't doing it right or my heart wasn't right. That was good. God wants to clean us up. Clean hands and a pure heart alone. Nothing else is acceptable to approach God. All the work he does to make you feel bad and get after your life and and make you have a dream about your soul, anything he does to clean you up is a good thing. It feels bad. It seems bad. Oh, God. But that's a good thing. It happened to you. Good for you. Good for you. Because this will open the door to heaven for you. God doesn't have to do this. He doesn't do it to everybody. Look at how many people you know who are your friends that have never had such an experience. I think of all the guys I grew up with. All these friends of mine growing up, they have never that I know of had a conviction about their soul. They're not left out, but they've never had the things happen to them. It's happened to me. Why did it happen to me? I don't know. Because they were all better than I am. They were all above me. I don't know why it happened to me. But I can tell you this this morning. God is good. I've experienced that kind of goodness at all, God. The Bible said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God delights in his way. You know why God delights in his way? Because it is a good way. And God shows you what is good. You walk that way. He then knows to do good, he begins to do good. God delights in his steps and God blesses him with good because God authors that. And God loves us for our good because he said the goodness of God leads you and I to repentance, makes us sorry with a sorrow we'll never regret. I am so glad that God showed me my sins and broke my heart and made me weep. And I am so glad he turned my life around and pointed me to Jesus I'm so glad that all these years, every time I've had a need to keep going or to get back on track, he was there. God was good to us. God's been good to this little church for 30-plus years. That's a long time, I think. But God's goodness, God's goodness is something we can't take for granted, folks. It's the way we have to live. We must live according to what he has shows us, which causes him to bring good. If he says, this is the way, walk ye in it, and you walk that way, does he respond to your walk? If God shows you a way to live, and you choose to live that way, does he respond to you in a good way? He sure does. He sure does. We call it blessing. Turn to the book of Romans for a moment. Romans 11. What a chapter in the Bible. What a chapter. Romans 11 and verse 22. Romans 11 and 22. Everybody ought to have read this chapter once a month. Romans 11 and verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity now listen to this paul is talking about salvation obviously in this chapter and those that were offered it and those who rejected it and for those who were offered salvation and rejected what they experienced as god's response to them was called severity Nothing went well for them. They struggled the rest of their life like most of society does. Just a constant, irritable, angry struggle day after day after day. You got a world that is so opposed to God as I'm speaking today. There's never been a time that people are more angry than they are now. Drugs just don't help very long. Anger management, the shrinks are making a lot of money. The head shrinkers are are making a lot of money off of this age in which man cannot cope with the pressures anymore. Man is not blessed of God. God has offered his blessing. Man is too busy having fun and is turned away from God's way to his own way. And the end of his way is death and there's no relief. There is no relief. And yet to those of us who are willing to take him at his word, Just accept at face value what he said and live that simple, dedicated life. You may not have all the world's goods, but you don't need it because you found peace. You have joy, honest, true joy. You can honestly love people, love your family. You can even love what you do as a job. You go to church in that simple moment of praise once or twice a week, find great relief from all the pressures of the world and just enjoy the Lord because God has been good to you and your response to him has given you something the world cannot know and it's a good thing it is a good thing but in Romans 11 Romans 11 and verse 22 he said on those who fail severity but he said but towards thee goodness if what goodness comes to those if what if you out there, you and I who read this, and listen, if we continue in his goodness. Now, the Lord has shown thee, O man, what is good. Now, what does he require of you except to walk in his goodness? Don't take it for granted. That'll get you in trouble. God puts a high premium on what he is showing people. Do you suppose this morning that all over the world, revelation is coming to church members? Do you suppose that inspiration is coming to all the assemblies of people this morning? I doubt it. Unless there's a great stage production and a moving song or a special or a solo or something good, people feel good about that. But it doesn't last long. But what God gives is eternal and it's good. If you've received that good for you, good for you, you know what I'm talking about. But he says specifically concerning this, this faith walk, he said, we must continue in his goodness. Remember a while ago I said, why callest thou me good? Remember that Matthew 19? I said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. That was 19 and I think verse 18. Well, the next verse says... But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. There's only one who is good, and he gives you what is good, and his way is good. And when you live his way, he responds to you, and you not only will enter into life, but you'll have the joy of the Lord while you're in this life. I don't know what more people want. I look at faces every week, not yours, but a lot of people's faces. It seems sometimes people are just a little depressed or a little oppressed. There's not much true joy. There's not much vibrant expectation of the Lord's speaking to us or dealing with us or blessing us. We're just sort of hanging on. It seems like the church is like that. It's sort of a downhill run. And people are hanging on hoping somewhere they'll bottom out and go uphill again. Just riding it out and and not really enjoying things. Not really enjoying what God says. It's sort of like, I don't know. It's not like it's blessing us. And it should. The entrance of God's word, if they do get in, they give light. I wonder sometimes if maybe there's a little door that we put up. And, and and if we keep hearing all of this, we're going to have to change our life so much that we can't do it the way we want to do it. We're going to have to change our whole plans and our whole life. Well, good. Because, you see, if we don't do it God's way, then the word severity comes into play. God has to judge whatever's wrong. Isn't that right? Why do people dread hearing that? Why is it when you say that, folks say, well, that's hard? That's not hard. That's deliverance. If we don't live right, now you judge this. If we do not live as he has given us to live, then he must judge the alternative. If God said this is the way walking in it, and we don't walk that way, but we walk another way, he must judge the other way because it's not good. There is a way that seemeth right unto man but what does he say about all the good things that man designs and all the good religious activities and all the good spectacular things we're spending a lot of money on to do and to do and to do god said there is a way that seems right but it's a way of death and man mortal man says how could this be it's not fair And God says, I didn't save you to think of something good to do. I saved you to be a disciple. This is my way. Live this way. My way is the good way wherein thou shalt go. There is no other good way. Are you here? There is no other good way. Men think it's good. But if it do not speak according to this word, God says they have no light. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if the light that you have, the way you're seeing things, is darkness, how great is your darkness because you're going to fall in a ditch. And, oh, we think that's so terrible to talk like that. Oh, I'm not going to come and listen to that anymore. That's your business. I'm just telling you that, folks, the good that God has for us comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Go back to our text, if you can still find it, Micah chapter 6. It comes at a cost. Now, we're going to go through a few verses of Scripture this morning, and I'm going to let you go home. But I just want to show you something about what is good, goodness. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Why would that be good? Because God approves of it. Wouldn't you agree? God approves of such a thing because he said that's what he wants. When you do that, he's pleased. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and God's response, God delights in his way. And when God delights in your way, I guarantee you, you're living a blessed life. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, will rejoice over thee with joy because you're living right. The good life, that's the one he wants. Now, again, Micah 6:80 said, Now he has shown thee, O man, what is good. So we're talking about somebody here that has knowledge. We're not talking about somebody who's never heard of this, but somebody who has. God says, Now, I have shown you what is good, Now, what do I require from you? Three things, just three simple things. What does the Lord require of you? Well, the first thing he requires is justice, to do justice, to be just and fair with other people. Do not lie. Do not try to deceive anybody. Do not mislead anybody. Do not bear tales about anybody. Treat everybody as your heavenly Father treats you, fair. You can be demanding on your job site. You can do a lot of things like that, but be fair. Be just. To do justly, justly is something that you do. It's an honest living before people and treating everybody right. Treating them fair the just and the unjust. Look at the second thing. To do justly and to love what? Mercy. What is mercy? I'm putting this not so much in the theological terms as in terms we can understand. Mercy is caring, loving people, having compassion, being touched by others' needs and feelings, Sometimes you can't help people, but sometimes you can. And there's something in you that just wants to help relieve people, to help make their day a little better. You're merciful. James 2 said, justice will be without mercy to those that show none. Remember the verse in 1 John 3, if you see a brother have need and you shut up your vows of compassion or of mercifulness towards that person, The love of God doesn't dwell in you. If you don't care about other people, you can't help everybody. Again, I get phone calls, got one this morning. Do you all help people? How do you answer that? (laughs) You can't say, no, we don't help anybody. (laughs) Say, well, we do. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Well, do you all help pay uh, bills? I said, we used to do that, and we got to where uh, we have quit doing that. We try to take care of our own well where can I get help of course you can't say well go to the Lord because that wouldn't work it's people not spiritual they just they're probably in a hard rock and a hard place so if wound ups you know she was gonna call somebody else well of course you care you know like Jesus how many people did he walk by that he never stopped to help there were beggars everywhere he stopped for a few that's recorded How many times did he walk by the gate called beautiful before his disciples dealt with the man? Everybody was begging. Blind people were begging. He didn't stop and do something for everybody because some things are the will of God, some things aren't at the time. But he cared. He loved. Jesus had compassion. He's never glad when bad things happen to anybody. We shouldn't be either. Merciful did in the Sermon on the Mount, then the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain that relief and loving interference of God in our troubles. Won't he interfere and help us? Of course he will. But we have to be merciful. It's required of us that we do that. We're told to love our enemies and do good to those that persecute us. That's part of it too. What does the Lord require of you To begin with this morning, three things. Be just and fair. Don't lie to people. Don't cheat people. Don't deceive people. Secondly, love people and care about their needs. If you can help them and it's obviously God's leading, you go ahead and do it. You help them because that's what he wants you to do. In the church, you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 about how the church ought to be with each other. Kindness, kind-hearted. That's mercy. Remember the song, Thy Loving Kindness? Loving Kindness is also the word mercy. God's loving kindness, His mercy is better than life. We're supposed to live that way with each other. There's so much in the New Testament about how we should be kind, tender-hearted, loving, caring, merciful, and compassionate with each other. I've seen a lot of that. I have. I've seen a lot of it here. I've had times that people say, well, you know, I'm not a very loving church. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, I'll rebuke that. You've never been here when somebody's been in a real hole and how people jump in and pull them out. We don't disregard people's needs. We let them use their faith. But you're not going to die here. We're going to try our best to get you where you can function again and and help you and get you going again. I mean, we don't think that you're just a poor old soul that can't help yourself. Sometimes we get in a bind. We need help. Things happen. And it's goodness of people that take up collections I remember one time, it's been many times this has happened, but we're going to take up a little collection for so-and-so, you know, this or that or thus and so, and get up $1, $2, 000, and a 1000 or $2,000. And the person just overwhelmed. Oh, well, we love you. We really do care about you. You know, we got a ministry here where we try to help people that could use a little help, a little boost. It's one more bill you don't have to pay this month. You know why? Because we care. If we didn't care, we wouldn't even do that. Mercifulness is a really good thing. A third thing he says in Micah 3.6 is to walk humbly with God. This is easy because in this arrogant, cocky, heady, proud day we live in, the people that get all the press time are some of the most egomaniacs, so puffed up with themselves, mad if they don't get the front seat, upset if they don't get noticed or not recognized, athletes, sports figures who demand to be noticed and admired and looked up to, you know, people walk around real cocky and acting real arrogant. Look at me notice. It's pride. You're living in a proud world. Everybody wants to be recognized. Look how important I am. Look how necessary it is for me to be here. And if you don't notice that, I'll go to another church or I'll sit somewhere else. you didn't vote for me, I'm out of here. Pride. The Bible says that a man, I'll put it into my words, when God brings a man to him, it's best that he come like that Remember that man that went into the temple to pray? One was a Pharisee, and he prayed like this. I thank thee, God, that I'm such an important person. Remember that other fellow? The Bible said he could not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven. He bowed his head. He humbled his miserable life before God, knowing that he had no right to call upon the Lord, but he needed help, and he called upon the Lord. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He humbled himself. He had no claim of what he's done, how far I've gone, how many people I've preached to, how many countries I've been in. He appealed to nothing except the fact that I am a desperately sinful man. God, have mercy on me. Jesus said he went home justified. He made it because that's the kind of attitude we ought to have. Nobody in here is less than I am. We should esteem others as better than ourselves. If we do that, we quit talking about each other. I know I'm not saying we are, but we quit talking against people in the church when we begin to recognize that you're not better than they are. When you're talking about people, you're really looking down at people while you're talking at them, and you really don't care how they feel or what you said is well you know so? That's why we fuss and fight. This arrogance and pride of who we are, of what we think we know. How many people have been puffed up because of knowledge? Oh, I've known some. They thought they knew so much about the Bible and today their lives are miserable. What could you be proud of? That you can memorize a chapter of the Bible? You think that'll get you to heaven? You think that's to be admired because you can quote the Bible? You think quoting the Bible means you're spiritual? Look at your life. Look at how you live, what you think about, what you watch, what you entertain. Look at the way you are. That's who you are. All this religious stuff has made no difference in your life because you like who you are in your own estimation, so you're a proud, cocky arrogant, high-looking person. And there's no room in heaven. You read, I couldn't quote all of them. Couldn't write them all down and read them all. They'd take all morning to all the places in the Bible where God rejects, resists, and turns away from pride. I can tell you this. It's taken a few years. But I can tell you this. I'm better than nobody in the world. I am only better than I used to be. And I'm only better because of the influence and the goodness of God. That's what it should be. Peter wrote, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, one of the reasons we worship and sing is because God deserves it. Doesn't he? Then why do we not give him that? Well, I think about it. I'm not being fussy now, just being informative. We don't give him what he wants, even though he deserves it, because we don't want to. And if I don't want to, I'm not going to do it. Good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. I'm not going to do it like it's really the great thing in my life, because, to tell you the truth, I don't want to. That's what pride does. I don't want to. Or if I sing, if I sing loud, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And somebody looks at you and you think, oh, they're, oh, they're looking at me. I should not sing because what will they think? You're proud. That's a form of pride. You're concerned of what other people think about you when you're trying to give a s- sacrifice to God. It's pride. It's that easy. Walking humbly with the Lord means... uh, Remember when David danced before the Lord? And they brought the ark back from Obed-Edom's house, and they brought it in to Jerusalem, and David danced with all his might. Woo! The dust was flying under those kingly feet. And Michael through the window looked, and she saw him dancing in his ephod. That's a little linen like his gym suit and she despised him in her heart because that was socially not right what's she going to say to all the ladies at the social your husband looked like he was you know cutting the shot oh he just embarrassed me so much you know why she's a proud woman she's a proud woman because i i wouldn't do that i wouldn't do this i wouldn't do this why? But just because I wouldn't. Well then you're the focus of your life. You're the big shot in your life. The throne isn't where God is, it's where you are. It's called pride. It's that easy. It's that easy to be proud. It takes very little effort to be proud. You don't have to be rich don't have to be poor, any color you want to be, any condition, any country. All you have to do is do it your way because your way is your way, and you're proud. You're not a humble man before God. But David danced before the Lord. He danced with all his might. His heart was filled with holy joy. His spirit was so right. Micah through the window, looked to criticize, did start. She didn't know that David had a dancing heart. Oh, the Holy Ghost will set your... Some night we're going to do that. Do you think David was all concerned about what everybody? The king, the king is dancing. The king, can you believe that's a dignified king is out there doing? You know, he's just ooh, Can you believe he's doing that? Do you think he cared what they thought? He said, I danced before the Lord. He said, you think I was by all then? Wait. Wait till he get a good song going. I'm going to take off running. (laughs) I'm not here to concern myself about what you think. I think I made that decision a long time ago about preaching the word. I'm not going to concern myself with whether people like it or not. If it's true, we have to like it or it's going to hurt us. But that's what we got to do. Now, Having said that about Micah, let's look at a couple of other places before we go home this morning. Turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to look at chapter 6 and chapter 10 and chapter 5. I know you can find all of those. Deuteronomy 6, 10, and then 5. Those are chapters. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 24 And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Would those be commandments? Of course they would. And then he added this word, and to what? To fear the Lord. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. For our good always that, notice, that he might. Let me point out these little phrases again. These are parts of a sentence which have meaning for me. Let me see if I can impart that to you. He said, God commanded us to do. God's commands are what he wants us to be informed about, his way, his good way, and he wants us to do that. Now, the motive that will make us do that and is lacking in people who don't, do that is the fear of the Lord. What a subject. The most foundationally important trait that holds a life holy before God is the fear of God. Well, that doesn't mean we're scared of God, is it? Well, if you trespass, you should be scared, shouldn't you? As I've said many times in my life, my mother was nobody for me to be scared of. A woman loved me. But then there were times when she was not real happy with me. Like the time you go out on the tree and bring me a limb. Now, that's alien today. You go to jail for that. They'd have put my mother up for life. <laughs> I had to go out and get a limb off the maple tree. And the purpose of me getting that limb off of that maple tree, there was great fear in all of this. Because while the pain hadn't come yet, it was just fire in that limb. And it was getting ready to go from the limb into my legs. And she'd grab my arm and just start at the top and go to the bottom till the limb was just part of what it used to be. <laughs> Do you think I had a right to be scared of her when she said, go get a limb? I didn't say, oh, sure, I'd be glad i get you one. Don't worry, boy. I about will <laughs> Bring her back a twig. I did that once. She said, you think I'm going to whip you with that? She went out and got a, the whole limb off the whole. <laughs> well, that was back in a time you could spank kids like that. Today, you really do go to jail because everybody's got cameras today. You'd be on Facebook and gossip talk and their tube, and you'd be on all that kind of stuff as some brutal, awful parent spanking your kid, let alone the belt. But there were times you should be afraid. The Bible calls God a consuming fire. As you turn to Proverbs chapter 2, in Proverbs chapter 2, one specific place in the Bible where clearly the fear of God is defined. It is said this is what brings, causes, brings forth the fear of God. And we can measure ourselves by this verse to see whether or not we fear the Lord. Listen, there's three places in Proverbs that says specifically that by the fear of the Lord we depart from evil because we know if we do what he says we shouldn't do that he will judge us. Now, if you don't fear that, then you'll do whatever you want to. If you're not afraid to cross God, if there's no Human fear, I mean, I'm phobia. If there's no fear of God about him saying, mean, I ain't going to do that. I don't want to do that. If you think you can live like that and not be afraid, you're deceived. You should be afraid. Just like if, if your mother told you to go wash the dishes and you said, I ain't washing those dishes. Ooh, you will too. I mean, you will. But how many people do that to God? In 31 years, how many times have we labored to make clear, as best I could, or whoever else is here, labored to make clear the way of God and how easy it was to walk out of here and in a day or two do something else. I don't know if it ever occurred to us, did you know that when God shows you what is right and you're unwilling to do it, that he has to judge it because it's sin? And if he doesn't judge it, you'll stay in your sin and you'll be lost. Because whom he loves, he chastens or he corrects so that he will not have to judge them in the last day. If he doesn't do that, we won't make it. But we do walk out of here a lot. We all do. Some, not all of us. Sometimes we walk out of here and can't even remember what was said. And so we have to check our pulse, our spiritual pulse. Is God getting my good? I want his. Is he getting mine? Because he said, I require of you to be fair, loving, and humble. And here he says the reason you'll be anything that he wants you to be is because you fear the Lord. He's appeared to you. He's given you a revelation of who he is. This is God. This is who holds you and you in the palm of his hand and will keep you there. And it's the same one who also can chastise you severely. And when he chastises you, it's because he loves you because if he doesn't chastise you, he has to judge you and so you will not be judged and lose it all. He chastises you now and corrects you now so that you will not remain as you were and think you're all right. And if you think you can just go ahead, any of us, if you think you can live any way you want to, and because God is good, it's okay, you need to read the Bible. Listen to this again. Verse 24, Deuteronomy 6, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. And then notice these words, that he might. Let me ask you a question. If I do not do what he said, and I really do not have high respect, awe, and reverence for God, I'm coming back to Proverbs 2, don't you leave. If I don't do that, will he just be good anyway? No. No. Because he said, you do this, that he might. Let me show you what he said in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, that may take a while, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom, you can do that, and apply your heart to understanding, you can do that. You have time to do that if you're willing. What does it mean? What does it mean? Verse 3, Yea, if you cry after knowledge, teach me thy way, and you lift up your voice for understanding. Oh, God. That's why we pray. You can do that. Verse 4, If you seek for her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, I really, really want to know what God says and what it means and how I can apply it. That's wisdom. Then he says, then, verse 5, do you see this? Then shall you understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. That's how it works. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and what? If you fear the Lord, you will. If you tolerate ugliness, you do not fear the Lord. If you do not fear the Lord, you're canceling out every other thing that has to. Your faith is an operation of your respect for God. Fear can mean awe, awe, reverence. God is to be revered, isn't he? To be treated as God by you. All the time and always. In your speech, in your conversations, where you go, what you do, what you read, who you talk to, where you are, at all times you acknowledge his presence and you live with regard to God. That's the fear of the Lord. Now, you do that because somebody has taught you who he is. Now, if in our teaching in our church, if we leave out the teaching of his attributes, his almightiness, who he is, as the Bible describes him, if we do not read about his judgments and how he has dealt with people that he loves, we may never have any fear of God. If we leave those kind of things out of teaching, the preacher says, well, people don't like that kind of teaching. They won't come and listen to that. So don't teach it, and you give them something else. So they never know God. They never know who he is. They don't respect him. They don't revere him. I could say this. There's not much fear of God in some Christian music that I hear today. It's nothing more than whoppity, whoppity, do bop a whop-bam-boom. It's little of nothing. People don't care how they dress and how they look and how they act spiritually. I don't think they know the Lord. I don't think you find the knowledge. When you find the knowledge of God, you find the fear of God it's just who he is just like I told you last week when I was in Jerusalem I was well aware before I got there that Jerusalem is several places called the city of God God calls it specifically of all the places on this earth that is his that specifically is the spot he assigns his name to well I wouldn't even spit when I was over there I'm not spitting on this street That's any trash. I picked it up, throw it away. I ain't going to litter in in this place. Why? Because he's God. He's God. This is his place. I'm going to have regard for it because it's his. Woe is me if I ignore him in my life. Brothers and sisters, the fear of God. Notice he said, go back to Deuteronomy one more time. Deuteronomy 6. He said, the Lord told us to do all these things and to fear the Lord. Again, for our good always, always. That he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. God has commanded us to fear him and to do what he said, and this causes God's good way to come to us. Do you see that? All right, go to Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, just one verse. And now Israel or Shelbyville, nothing's changed. How about row one here? And now row one, and now preacher, it's for all of us here, you young folks. And now Israel or whoever we just said, what does God require from you? And what's the first thing he mentions? Fear. Fear. All reverence, reverential acknowledgement of his presence and who he is. Fear the Lord. That's the first thing he says. And the second thing he says, to walk in all of his ways. What keeps you from it? All of us have to admit this morning, if we're honest, there's only one thing that can keep me from walking in the way I've been taught, and that's the fact that I don't want to. Amen? Or oh me. All right. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Can you put your finger there for just a moment and look in Ezekiel 11? Because if you're going to walk in all of his ways, this has to happen. This must be the catalyst for the walk. You can't just walk this way unless this happens. Ezekiel 11 and verse 19 and 20, you got to have this. And he says, and I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within you and will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a This is called in the Old Testament, hidden hidden in the pages of the Old Testament, is this revelation of the new birth, what Nicodemus did not yet see. This is what God does to change the core of a man's life. And this is what it does when he does this. When he gives you a new heart and a new spirit, this is what happens, verse 11. That they may walk in my statutes... And keep my ordinances and do them. And in this way, they will be my people. because this is what my people do. And I will be good to them because I will be their God. So if you want to walk in all of his ways, you do it that way. We'll go back to Deuteronomy 10. A third thing he says, that you may love him. Fear the Lord, walk in all of his ways, love him. That's a much bigger subject than just a passing statement. But to love God means that simply he gets your heart. He has your heart. Your heart and your devotion and your most ardent desire is God's. That's what he does. You just love him because it's the most natural thing to do when God begins to love you we love him because we begin to experience his love that's good and the response is so natural we love him back we give him our time our hearts our desires we love him because he first loves us Let me tell you something. This is a whole nother sermon. When you start out your Christian life and God touches your heart, and he really, really does, the one thing that happens is that your life, at least for the first three or four days, has admiration and devotion for God. It's a love you've never had before. It's different from the love of your parents, the love of your wife or your husband. It's a love that is unexplainable, that passes understanding. It's a love which drives you with something that is beyond you, but it's real and it's yours. The Bible calls that your first love. The most telling sign that you've been born again is this wonderful urge and desire to get up every day and, first of all, be mindful of God and all day long be conscious of God. Now, you and I would say, well, you can't do that every day. Why not? Who told us that? Where did we learn that? That's our first love. Not your puppy love, not your girlfriend in high school or not some new car, but it's God. True love begins with God, comes from God. God is love. And when you love God and he loves you, it's different than you loving your wife or your children. This is a love that is beyond. It's divine. And it drives the life. And it brings you into peace with God. And he said this is how he wants us to love him. You say, well, you're asking too much. I am not. Jesus said it like this. He said, if a man loves me, He will do one thing specifically. He will keep my commandments. And if he loves me like that, I will not only love him, but the Father and I will visit him and manifest ourselves to him. And what's that going to do to your life for the rest of what's left? Oh, they can't bribe you. Dying is no longer a threat to your life. Losing, breaking heart over all little stuff that people get broken. That don't happen anymore. You've got something that you've never had before. This doesn't go away. This stays. You can go to the cross. You can go to a burning stake and smile and sing a song while you're dying because something's greater than all of that. It's manifesting itself in your life. It's love. Human love you can walk away from and get bitter and break up, but when God sets his love upon you, it's there forever. Amen. And a fourth thing in closing, he said, is to serve him. Jesus said, if any man is going to serve me, let him follow me. And that's the test. We're all put to it every single week in our life. Will you follow the Lord? Will you? Now, Deuteronomy 5, God says this about our hearts. Verse 29. Oh, there there was in Shelbyville Christian Assembly and all of those nice, kind people that go there. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would what first? Again, God starts there. That they would fear me and... And... What else? That they would fear me and keep all my commandments always... So that what? So that it might be well with them and with their children after them. Now let me ask you a question. We said it a long time ago we're about to stop. If God said this is the way walking in it and you make that decision because you can. Nothing can keep you from it. You can do it. God never gave you something you can't do. He said this is your reasonable service. Make that decision to give it all up and go this way. Does he respond to that? Does he bring what he brings to your life? Listen to it again then. Oh, that there was such a heart in them, my people, that they would fear me always and keep my commandments always, that it might be well with them. That is a good thing. Think of it every day for the rest of your life. It is well with you. Be like the Shunammite woman when trouble was everywhere. She said, it is well with my soul. Had a dead boy in her house. She said, it is well with my soul. You know why? Because that prophet there will pray and that boy will be all right. It is well with my soul. Almighty God, look at us this morning. As human beings, fragile in so many ways, weak and tragic in too many ways, but sitting here this morning with huge knees like baby birds, I am recognizing the more I learn, the more I recognize that I am just drifting through life. I'm just drifting. I don't give testimonies about the blessing of God and all the wonderful. I don't even give testimony. I don't have any. You said, it shall be well with me and my children after me. Then so be it. So I said, well, it doesn't look like it. Well, I have to agree with you. If I judge God on today, June the 24th, 2012, if this is the end of time and it ends today, well, it didn't work. But as far as I know, I don't know this, but I imagine there'll be another day. And I believe God will be in that day. And whatever needs to be done that hadn't been done yet, he'll have another day to do it. And as long as the sun rises and goes down, that's another day that God can do more. So you cast all my cares upon him for the family because I got a promise. He said, he said, he said right here, it shall be well with you and your children after you. Let me close with this verse listen to it. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 39. God says, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good, for the good of them and of their children after them. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. This is a threat. I'm going to read this again. Jeremiah 32 and verse 39. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. If God has given you a new heart, what will you do? You'll fear the Lord. And what will happen? For the good of them. Now, Bonnie and I, have experienced goodness. In a couple of months, we we'll have been married 50 years. That's a good thing. Amen. It's been tough, but I mean, <laughs> that was a good thing. As far as I know, our kids have never heard us have an argument. That's pretty good. They didn't see what happened after they were gone, but <laughs> God has been good. Every time you connect with God about an area of your life, he shows you He brings his goodness into it. There it is, folks. Good for you. Good for you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless what we have said this morning to our understanding that these folks would not believe it because I said it. But as you have opened your word to them, that as they see it, you will give them grace and be good to them and let them see it and understand it. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving kindness. Thank you for all the good way you've given us for every single week for 30-some years, a testimony of your goodness every week. You've been good to us. And now I pray, Lord, that you would begin, in a sense, to revive us here. Begin to move personally into our individual lives. And turn us around or turn us towards you or turn us front face to face. That we might see and understand all these things in our life. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Amen. He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. He has shown Good and what the world requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God, He has shown. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly And to walk humbly with thy God But to do justly And to love mercy And to walk humbly with thy God Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God is good.